This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In another amazing, jam-packed, high-energy episode of the Doctor Who podcast, Michelle, Tom and Trevor have a look at the feedback that has been literally rolling in for the first three episodes of Season 7, Asylum of the Daleks, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and a Town Called Mercy. to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. It's a fantastic to be here, a pleasure to have your company. I think we should first introduce ourselves because we are essentially new hosts of the Doctor Who podcast. We've been gone for that long. My name is Trevor. To my right in the camper van, we have the wonderful Tom. Hello, it's lovely to finally be on a podcast about Doctor Who. Um, So yes, thank you, nice to be here. (laughs) And to my left is the delightful Michelle. Hello, Michelle. Hello, thrilled to be here, thrilled to meet you guys. It's it's wonderful to finally actually get back into the DWP groove because we've been gone for a couple of weeks because um, to a certain degree Michelle and I are uh, you know the the long forgotten cousins of the Doctor Who podcast <laughs> at the moment because uh, you guys in the U of K have been getting some fantastic uh, preview episodes of Doctor Who well in advance of. Uh, us non U of Kers, so you know we've had to sort of bow out for a couple of weeks. I know, I know, it, but, but I've, I've, I was just saying actually, it's really nice to be able to have, get back and have a nice Sunday morning conversation uh, about the previous night's Doctor Who. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it it, it seems like the DWP of old. Bring on more DWP of old. That's <laughs> what I say. Exactly, <laughs> right. that, exactly that. And, and, and Michelle, I have to say, I'm, I'm much prefer- preferring the way that you were addressed the way that James does so. Well, yeah, he, he I could teach him a few things. <laughs> we're going to stop there now. <laughs> <laughs> All I could think was, well, I hope you could teach him a few things. <laughs> I'd, I'd be worried if he knew how to do it right now, to be perfectly honest. But anyway. I mean, Trev's got it down, so we're still working on James. Oh, true. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here resplendent. Resplendent, that's all I'll say. Well, in this episode, as as I briefly hinted at the beginning, moving swiftly on, um, we are here to look at the mountains of feedback you guys have been sending in for the uh, Season 7 episodes of Doctor Who. Thank you very much for that. Um, You've responded to the call from the other hosts, and uh, you you have responded quite prolifically. Thank you very much. Mm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, it's always good to see uh, a lot, of, a lot of feedback. It's great, great to see the number of downloads that are happening for the podcast. So thank you very much for everyone around the world who's uh, listening to us ramble. Um, but even mm. better, of course, is to get the feedback where we can hear what you actually think of the show. Perfect. Yeah, I, I really hope you've been enjoying our up to the minute uh, episode releases, where we have a review episode out literally minutes after the episode finishes screening um, mm. in the U of K. Uh, that's, that's, that's been fantastic for us to do this season, and, and I really hope you're enjoying it. And, and certainly the download numbers seem to uh, indicate you are enjoying it. 15,000 downloads for the Asylum of the Daleks review. That's wow. Scary. That's yeah, scary. That is, that, that is fantastic. Well, one, mm. of my, one of my favorite things is to listen to the feedback and to hear what the, the listeners are saying, because after all, you are most welcome at the Doctor Who podcast. But before we go into the feedback, since some of us haven't had the chance to share our opinions on the, on the new series episodes, do you want to take a moment to do that? 
Actually, I really, I'm enjoying this season. I, I like the, the way the season has started, and I think it started very strong with Asylum of the Daleks. Great big epic type of uh, episode. Uh, enjoyed uh, seeing Amy and Rory back with the Doctor. Enjoyed the way the Daleks were treated in this one. Enjoyed seeing uh, the bronze Daleks and some of the other Daleks down in the asylum. Most of what I saw in that episode uh, I really liked. There's a few things, a few niggles, but they're small, and they didn't overall detract from uh, the enjoyment of the episode. But uh, good stuff. What, what can I say? I've got my Doctor Who back. Um, I, know, I know Doctor Who isn't supposed to be aimed at me primarily, but, what I've, but what's concerned me is how famous the Doctor's become, how big he's become, how, how all-pervasive and um, ubiquitous he's become in the universe. And I love the idea that his oldest and worst enemies don't know who he is. Um, there, you know, there, there is an idea that him skipping around the console giving it Doctor Who, Doctor Who, um, might have uh, kicked the fourth wall in a little bit. But I love that because it made me think of episode, was it episode one or episode two from 1963, where the Doctor is, is, uh, is a thousand, uh, is 100,000 years BC and he's like, Doctor, Doctor Who. I love that. Um, I, I, you know, it opens things up again. It's, it's the best kind of reboot. Because the mystery has just vanished. I know that there was all of that going on um, at the end of the 80s where Andrew Cartmell was trying to introduce a bit of mystery again. I think, I'm think i not sure that entirely worked. But I love the idea that the Doctor, my Doctor, isn't anything which is defined anymore. I mean, I, you know, we know him, but the universe doesn't. And that means that the story can go on in a whole new way for, more years, for, for many more years. Yeah, I, I agree. I will be really interested to see where they take this particular strand. I mean, it was certainly something that was dangled to us at the end of last season. Um, you know, Dorian gave us that little, I suppose, Kickstarter into this new thread of Doctor Who. Who is the Doctor? Doctor Who. Um, and that's something I they've certainly hit us with a bang in Asylum of the Daleks. Um, I certainly approach Asylum of the Daleks with, with a great degree of trepidation. We, it's been so long since we've had Doctor Who on our screen and, and Stephen Moffat and, you know, you know, producers of the show and everyone who has, has a Twitter account or, or, or a present somewhere has been saying how epic this season is going to be every story is going to be movie quality epic amazing and i went into asylum of that's going oh my goodness it has a lot to live up to and i think for the most part it did i i quite enjoyed asylum of the daleks i i think like michelle i probably did have a few problems with it um i, I wasn't that thrilled with the character of oswin um I, oh really yeah for, for well for me when before the big reveal at the end that she was like a Dalek, um, I thought, oh, God, we've got another Amy character, you know, a sassy, streetwise, fast-talking woman. It, it, she just seems like a clone of Amy. And I thought, well, if, if they're going to be giving this character such, such a large portion of the story, I thought, well, let's, let's have something a little bit different. But that, that, that was by the by. There, there was a lot of stuff online complaining about how little the classic series Daleks were used. But for me, I think they hit the balance perfectly. I, I didn't expect them to be a massive part of the story. There is no way you could e use every single permutation of Dalek casing ever in the classic series in this episode in a major way. They, they really had to, for the most part, be background dressing. And I think it worked really, really well. I think I've got a few niggles with it, but overall I did enjoy it. I, I think they really have strived for that epic movie quality. It mm. looked fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I mean, I, I, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, there were times I was watching it where I was going, I'm not watching Doctor Who. Um, it didn't feel like Doctor Who at certain points. It seems like they've thrown that much money, that much effort, that much quality at it that the show I was watching that 
morning or afternoon or whatever it was wasn't Doctor Who anymore. It, it, it was something different. It's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I, I was impressed by the quality. You said you used the word quality. I was impressed by the quality of the writing. It was actually scary. When you've got Dalek yes. uh, eye stalks coming out of people's heads and that whole reimagining of the Robo-Men, that was amazing. Plus, it took me a while to get it, but... That whole th- I love that that very second Doctor feel to it, where the first question out of the Doctor's head is, "Where do you get the eggs from?" But you know, when when when, he's, when she's talking about the souffle, which it's, it's, it's it was very much like um, that lovely the almost people uh, last year, where the Doctor's worked it out and he's just being very careful not to upset anyone by telling them exactly what's going on. But I, but, but I love the fact that his first thing is, "Well, where do you get the eggs?" And then as the Daleks are trying to uh, are coming to life, they're all they're doing is saying, "Eggs, eggs, eggs." <laughs> Which might suggest that what you've got with Oswin is that she's somehow managing to hold this thing back, you know. And, and the way that she, the, the way that she expresses it's a souffle, is because she's holding back this thing about eggs, eggs. But, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but as I say, it, it's a long time for me since Doctor Who was that scary, that involving, and I won't say that well, that well written, um, because it's been very well written for a while. But um, it, it strikes me that the the whole story, the whole season, sorry, the whole season, um, the whole story is being rebooted there are no time lords the daleks mm. don't know who he is um the, you know this crazy old man in a box is is actually an old, an old young man in a, in a box again it's great i mean i know that there are people who didn't like it and well I, again you know, you know where i stand on this it's to me it's about just suspend your disbelief and enjoy the ride and if you can do that then this is one of the best season openers we've seen i, I can't say it's the best doctor who episode of all time but you know what it's certainly in the top three Let's move on to the uh, second episode of, of the season, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Now, I'll, <laughs> I'll go first and I'll set the tone right away. Um, I, I sent an email around to all you guys pretty soon after I watched this episode where I said basically, well, I've always considered um, all of televised Who to be the canon of Doctor Who, to, to be the Bible. For Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, I was prepared to make my first and only exception. Um, <laughs> I hated dinosaurs on a spaceship with a passion it, it falls into the same area of doctor who that i hate them doing i hate them doing these broadly comedic episodes with fart jokes or bodily function jokes or you know wise cracking effeminate characters i mean it, it it falls for me in the same area as unicorn and the wasp mm. um it it falls in the same area for me as um love and monsters um i didn't recognize any of the main characters um, I've, I've forgotten who wrote this one. I'm hoping to purge it from my memory, but Shepard. I don't think they knew how to write for the characters. Amy was acting like the Doctor. The Doctor was acting like an idiot. Rory didn't really <laughs> need to be there. Um, his dad seemed to have most of Rory's lines. Um, what the heck was Queen Nefertiti doing there? Absolute waste of time. What the heck was that Hunter doing there? It, it was. It was all... I don't know. I mean, this one's not written for me. It's written for the, the five-year-olds of the audience. It's, it's, it's written for the people who want to see CGI dinosaurs and want to see big, bold, colourful characters on screen. It, it's, this, for me, is not Doctor Who. It really isn't. It's an adventure story that does not fit into the Doctor Who mould as far as I'm concerned. How did your kids like it? I've said all along, when my kids watch Doctor Who, their expectations are a lot lower. They're quite happy to enjoy what's going on. They're not analysing the metatextual, uh, you know, sub, yeah. sub-imagery of the vortex, basically, when, you know, they're not trying to compare it to five stories from the 1960s and 1970s, which I am while I'm watching it. Right. Um, they're, yeah. 
I, I think because they modern audiences consume so much television in general that there is less of a reliance for a modern audience for a story to fit into a particular mould or a particular style. They're quite happy for any particular series to jump from comedy to fast to drama to tension and then back to comedy again, all within the space of five stories. Um, so they enjoyed Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and I expected them to, but I didn't. Okay, see, the only thing I can... Uh, well, I, it's your opinion. You're, enti- you're absolutely enti- entitled to it, of course, you know, it's, and it's great that you get to express it. But I've got... To, no, I don't accept any of the, of the, of the other criticisms <laughs> at all. I mean, because, look, fine, you know, you're saying that uh, doc, that's not Doctor Who. Can I just ask... Let me just cu- ask you to cast your mind back to 1979. Start with Destiny of the Daleks, run all the way to Horns of Nymon, and that's exactly what you've got in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Particularly when you say Amy's behaving like the Doctor, Horns of Nymon, what happened there? It, you know, it is Doctor Who. It's season 17 Doctor Who. It is Scooby Who, if, if that's what you want to call it, but it's absolutely, undeniably Doctor Who. It's dark, it's scary, it's frightening it's actually actually quite evil solomon's that the character of solomon okay yes he, he did he does but he does come over like soldy but what he was doing the way he was doing it was actually quite sadistic yes the camp robots are camp but again it's just season 17 and to be honest with you that's what turned me on to dr hill i loved it um the, the, the my only feeling about the crowded tardis or the or, or the gang the was gang. that i thought well okay Exactly, you know. I, I just thought, well, that's a bit. It's it's a bit Peter Davison when there's like the, the whole tart is full of people. Um, but there was more going on to going on there than. Uh, well, here's the thing. I'm doing a lot of talking. I should, I should be doing more listening. But Michelle, what did you think? You know, I uh, this one was okay. I enjoyed this one. It it splits my opinions right in the same episode. There were some elements that I really enjoyed. I I liked the concept of an arc that the Silurians had had sent out into space to to save the animals from their from their time. I thought that was brilliant, and uh, and I enjoyed the interaction with the dinosaurs, which were incredibly well realized on screen. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I enjoyed Rory and his father. Although I thought, you know, it's interesting. They have kind of a little behind-the-scenes thing that they do at some of the commercial breaks here in America. And one of them was uh, Arthur Darville talking about how, you know, the character's dad appeared in this and that that was going to help us learn more about Rory. And I didn't think that happened. I I enjoyed the interaction between Rory and his dad, and I enjoyed the dad character, but it it didn't really reveal new things in my opinion. But nonetheless, I liked him there. Uh, on the other hand, I, I agree that I'm not certain Nefertiti and Riddell really were needed in this episode. They were more caricatures than, than characters, and uh, I got a little tired of the innuendo and, and the flirting. Uh, likewise, I could even have done without Solomon, and I know he's kind of an important part uh, in terms of being the villain, but I'll tell you where I wish this story had gone. There's the sequence where Amy is... Uh, hacking into the computer and learning about the records and the Silurian says that we've loaded 50 species and there's only one that's having any trouble surviving and that caught at my heart because I thought where the story was going would be that the one species that couldn't survive for whatever reason was the Silurians themselves so I thought what we were setting up was this arc full of dinosaurs that was going to be blown out of the sky with our heroes on board unless they could find some way to turn it around and that for me would have been a very wonderful Doctor Who story. Um, I think the, the, the sadism and the twistedness of the villain uh, went further than I would have liked it to. I mean, that whole sequence where he is 
taking Nefertiti into his evil clutches, I thought was mm. repulsive. Mm. Um, mm. And, and so, so here on the one hand, I have some things that I loved about it. On the other hand, I have some things that I just wish they, they hadn't gone with. It hadn't been components of the story. Uh, my eight and a half year old loves this. He says it was awesome. Uh, I thought that would be related to the dinosaurs and all that. But I, I asked him the other day, what was your favorite part? And much to my surprise, he said it was when the doctor put the transmitting device on the other ship. And I thought, whoa, oh, wait, wait a minute. That's goodness. not that's not where I wanted him to I mean, he's a sweetheart too. I, I said Wow. I said, do you do you do you realize that in doing that the doctor was essentially killing Solomon? And 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 he said, Yeah. And I don't think it was the death part that intrigued him. I hope not. It's not what I want him to learn from Doctor Who. But uh, I think it was more the technology of the transmitter attracts the missiles and how clever of the doctor to stick it on the other ship. But uh, oh, it's interesting. Wow. He loved that, this one, but not for the reason I thought it would be. That so surprises me because that's that's a big problem I have with the story because, I mean, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That's not what I want my kids to learn from Doctor Who. I, I was so surprised we ended up with a doctor that basically murdered Solomon. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I was so <clears throat> incredibly surprised and I thought... This, sure, I mean, we've seen other Doctors do that. I mean, you, you can probably quote the Sixth Doctor in Shock Eye, for example, where he deliberately murdered him to to stop him, therefore, killing the companions of the Doctor. But this is the Matt Smith Doctor. This is the guy that probably minutes before was wisecracking and being jovial. Either this is a new, radically different direction for the Matt Smith Doctor and our production crew have no idea what they're doing, or it's just a glaring inconsistency that people thought would be cool. No, no, no. I, I think... mean, I, I, I think for me, this is what gets at the crux that modern audiences don't really care if a story has a tonal shift backwards and forwards multiple times in a story because we've gone from, you know, riding dinosaurs to Queen Nefertiti to grim stuff with, with um, Nefertiti and Solomon back to wisecracking and then back to the ship blowing up. People don't care about that. I think it's only us older people that are used to stories that are more consistently themed. I, I, I disagree. That, I that think, have a problem with it. I, I think I think an audience demands that. I think there there needs to be a lot. And to be honest with you, what's interesting about the point you've raised there is that I think the Doctor is very consistent. It's very nine. Uh, it is very violent. It is very it, it is very nasty. I mean, it go, let's go all the way back to episode two. Um, 1963, the Doctor has picked a rock and he's about to murder somebody with it and the only thing that stops him is Ian saying, um, no, don't do that we can come forward by 40 odd years um, and then suddenly and you've got the, um, that, the, the, the uh, Doctor number 2 being full of anger and fire and committing murder on the, on the, on the Dalek ship effectively murdering Davros so, and, you know, and that's, a, that's a continuum that's gone, gone on for 40 years, so to have the Doctor making a decision that, set, a decision that says right, actually you are more trouble than you are worth I will kill you I can do that I have that, I have that right um, and again but, but it also underlines why he must travel with somebody because with no Amy with no companion he'll just do that all the time yeah and I, I, I'll jump in here and the way this was portrayed at the end of um, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship was very troubling to me uh, I know the doctor has done harsh things in the past it seems to me like normally he's either in a situation where he doesn't have another option or he's given the folks more of a way out than I think he gave Solomon in this one, or sometimes he he sabotages their own evil scheme so that it's not him that necessarily kills them or destroys them. Mm. They destroy themselves when they carry it through. Here, it would have been so easy. I mean, they had Solomon at their mercy there in that last sequence. 
Uh, he could have taken him off that ship and, and dropped him on some planet where there was nothing of value, where he had mm. to spend the rest of his mm. days. Uh, but I understand also now having seen uh, a, t- uh, a town called Mercy, and this is a good transition, mm. that yeah. that this this was really a story arc that was leading into the next one, that they were setting up this idea uh, like Tom referenced, that the doctor needs someone to travel with him. So in 2020 hindsight, I can I can live a little bit easier with, with the way they ended um, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. However, I would have felt better about it if there had been some little exchange between Amy and the doctor during that second episode where, where she said, you know, did you just do what I think you did? Or uh, that was a little harsh or, or some glance mm. that would then set up what we saw fulfilled in a town called mercy where she calls him on it and says whoa this is not the way we roll um so i give the production team credit that they addressed it in the next story but i think i still am not completely comfortable with how it it seemed perfectly okay at the end of dinosaurs on the spaceship that, that he made that decision So having said that then, Trev, what did you think of A a Town Called Mercy? Well, I'll flip to the total opposite for this one. I'll um, do my Trev flip and say I absolutely loved A Town Called Mercy. I think this is the first story in the season that's delivered on the uh, production team's uh, promise of having cinematic Doctor Who. This looked absolutely brilliant. And even from the opening scene where the uh, gunslinger is wiping out one of the uh, uh, townsfolk slash aliens... um, I was just gobsmacked at, on on several levels. Just just the quality of the performances, the way the scenes were cut together was very cinematic. It it was really really good. I I loved the decisions that had to be made in this story. I think Matt Smith's character was reined in to a certain extent. I was a bit disappointed in the first two episodes where we got too much of you know silly nonsense carry on type Matt Smith. But in this one, while he, he, he was still, you know, a little bit manic, I think that there was the meat of the story there to rein him back. And pretty much everything about A Town Called Mercy I love because I, I think it gave us a really meaty story. It gave us some um, decisions that could be argued, could be quite predictable. You know, the story could be quite predictable. But I think it was carried off with such panache and style that I, I was prepared to overlook a lot of its shortcomings. I'll follow on on that because it'll be easy because I basically agree with Trev. I loved this one. This is one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes in some time. Um, it was a morality play, and I think that's perfectly appropriate for a mm. Western because I think some of the great old Westerns are morality plays. But it this is a perfect example for me of something that goes beyond just the surface level or the plot level to get into depths of meaning and to kind of explore the the human experience and, and universal concepts like like justice and mercy. These aren't black and white issues, and they're challenging. And, you know, here you've got a war criminal that, the, that one of the heroes of the piece just laid down his life for. Uh, what do you do? And I love it when Doctor Who goes into that territory. And, and here again we had the Doctor returning kind of to his moral compass, thanks 
in large part to his companions, but also to the other characters in the show. I, I love this one. I, I, do you know what? I, I liked it because, again, I think what we've, what, what we've had in the first three episodes of this season are all of the things that make Doctor Who great. Yes, there was Daleks, and that was all quite wonderful. We get the Doctor back. Episode two, um, we get the romp from season 17. But, in, but here we've got, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're both saying you really enjoyed the, the weight of the story because this is very this is very much like third Doctor territory. It's all very pertwee, this. Lots of meaning. As you say, look, that's a really strong sense of morality. What I quite liked was that the central character, the Doctor, the other Doctor, is the Doctor. And, and you know, what, what, what I found echoing through my own head was the... Um, was that a deathless line from Sutek at in uh, Pyramids of Mars? Your evil is my good, you know. And, mm. and, 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 in fa- and in fairness, who you know, who are we to judge without the perspective that says, well, you know, there is a continuum here. He, you know, the, the the other Doctor may have been a murderer, but he goes on to redeem himself. The same thing with our Doctor. You know, he may have been, you know, from some perspectives, he is a murderer. And let's not forget that um, in some languages, Doctor means warrior, means killer, means murderer, because that's what he is to some people. So yeah, I. I, I I, I really enjoyed this. It was it was great. Though you know, again, there's a sort of feeling of um, a slight feeling of Russell T Davies uh, Doctor Who going on there. Um, but yeah, just again, I've got to agree with both with uh, with both of you. It's big, it's bold, it's brassy. It's what I want from Doctor Who without having to justify anything. Um, what, what's interesting to me is that the, is that the theme of redemption and perspective that that, uh, that I found last year or believe I saw last year is very much here again, uh, and we're seeing and we're seeing being threaded through these first three episodes so it's, it'll be interesting to see where you know where the, the final two episodes of, of this particular half season go but yeah Tank of Mercy perfect great and, and, and the gunslinger just wonderful truly wonderful what about Ben Browder I mean, I mean for us geeks that's fantastic I mean we get a double whammy of Ben Browder who was in Farscape <laughs> and Stargate SG-1 I mean to, to, to me he was close to unrecognisable because I suppose it's been a long time since he's been in mainstream TV. Well, certainly for me, he has. And, you know, I turned to Megan during I said, tell me who that guy is. You will know him. And, you know, she, she had to give up in the end because while occasionally you could hear little tones in his voice, it, it was difficult to pick, you know, the guy from Farscape. Well, we've been rambling on for a bit sharing our opinions on this, but this is supposed to be a podcast about what our uh, listeners are thinking. Why don't we take a look at some of the feedback? Okay, so I I am really interested to hear what uh, people thought of Pond Life because I've got some very set opinions about that. Um, let's have a look. Um, first bit of feedback we have is from a guy called Mark. Go. Hi, podcasters. This is Mark from Woodstock, New York, in the USA, and I've been enjoying Trev's uh, intros to the um, Pond Life series. I wouldn't have known about it unless I had been subscribed to the Doctor Who podcast. So thanks for that. But Trev, I usually agree with you on most things, and I really appreciate your vast and in-depth knowledge of Doctor Who. But you are so wrong. I'm sorry, but you really are. The whole Pond Life series, it's like the preamble to the main course of a meal. You have several little amuse-bouche, and uh, then you get something that's a little bit more complex at the end. Maybe something complex at the beginning, and then something just to delight the palate and get you ready for a really seriously interesting and lovely meal. 
So, no, you're wrong. It's great. It's funny. You don't need to have everything at, packed with information for uh, to keep your geek factor way up. And things can just be amusing. Well, thanks for the feedback, Mark. Great to hear from you. Yeah, I, I do kind of agree with you. I mean, people do look for different things when it comes to these sort of prequels slash pre-season uh, mini-eps, I suppose. Um, and, and it's interesting you use the word entree there or, um, you know, sort of a teaser to the main course, I suppose. You know, some people want a beautifully well-cooked entree, you know, some or some nice prawns or some nice, you know, whatevers, you know, beautifully prepared, whereas some people are happy to eat that sorbet confection. Um, people want different things from their preambles. And for me, I, I always expect something that's always built up as this is what's going to happen before Asylum of the Daleks. And for the most part, when I watched Pond Life, except for one or two episodes, it was a case of, oh, okay, we're, we're going down the comedy route, are we? You know, we're, we're going to have an ood on the loo just because it's good to have that sort of pun. Um, I did enjoy Pond Life, and, and, and I really hope that came across in my little five mini-apps, but was expecting a little bit more meat there. And I think we finally got that meat in the last episode, um, Pond Life 5, where... You know, we basically saw the beginning of Amy and Rory's divorce. We saw the Doctor turning up and finding they weren't there. And, you know, there, there was that rift developing that we then saw um, expanded upon in Asylum of the Daleks. So that, that to me, was interesting. But the rest of it, you know, Ood's servants, Ood's on a loo, all that sort of nonsense, you know, I, I, I can kind of take it or leave it. Well, I kept thinking as I was watching these, how much money does it cost to make 60 seconds of television? Um, and yeah, I, I, there is something to be said for having some light and some fluff, but I was surprised that we had as many episodes in a row of that as we did. I, I would have, I can't fault folks who enjoyed that, but I would have preferred something a little more meaty or maybe instead of five tiny short episodes, maybe make another prequel out of it. Um, I did enjoy the prequel to this season, and I think it kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people. So if you haven't seen the the actual prequel, you ought to go look it up on uh, the BBC website. But uh, mm. uh, Pond Life wasn't exactly my cup of tea, but I didn't hate it either. Well, I think it's... Uh, Michelle, you can help, maybe you can help me out here, because I, I know you have a theatre background. Um, it, it's, it's Harold Pinter. Is it Harold Pinter or Tom Stoppard, where, there's, where, where everything is in the silences between the lines? I think it's Harold Pinter, isn't it? Um, and what I liked about this is that there's an, apart from the lines that are being said, and apart from the comedy elements, yes, Ood's on the, Ood's on the loo and so on, um, I think the gaps are very, very telling. The Doctor's um, social inability, uh, which is very much heightened in the, this 11th incarnation, I think, um, it comes out as the awkwardness and the dangerous thing that it actually is, you know, that he will just pop in, pick them up, drop them somewhere else and go off again. That's dangerous. It's it's inconsistent and it's very, very... What's the, well, I, and I think with um, the, the, the season finale, we're going to see quite how affecting that can be. Mm. Um, mm. And I, so I liked... I, I, I think from episode from episode one of Pond Life, the uh, the fractured nature of the Doctor's days and the effect that it has on, his, on these companions who I think are unlike, uh, unlike any other others and as much as they get put down and picked up I mean the others seem to be there all the time um, maybe maybe Victoria from the second Doctor's era is, is a bit like that I don't know, I'll have to go back and do some reading um, but yeah, I, 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 as I say the silence between the characters and the silence between the interactions between Rory and Amy and the Doctor told me an awful lot 
a huge amount. Yeah, you have, I'm sure you have a point there, and you have a wonderful way of bringing the meaning into the, the various episodes. But there is a wonderful line in Asylum of the Daleks where Amy says to the doctor, you know, it's just life, that thing that goes on when you're not there. And so, yes, I mean, you are catching glimpses of that in here, just uh, perhaps not as substantive glimpses as I would have liked. Yeah. They are definitely trying to show us something. They're definitely trying to tell us something in, in this season and with the uh, Pond Life prequels. With all this stuff we've watched, we've watched the first three episodes here in our house, and at the end of every episode I go, well, that was another day trip. I mean, they, they are definitely trying to tell us something about this fractured lifestyle that our two companions are having with their doctor and something that has certainly changed since the uh, problems with River, you know, you know, with the birth and with the whole revelation and, and certainly with Amy and Rory choosing between real life and the doctor's life. They, they're, they're trying to show us something that will, I'm sure, expand upon before we even reach the end of Series 7. Oh, absolutely. And the other, the other thing to consider is, is, as we learned in A Town Called Mercy, the Doctor's 300 years older. There's been a lot of time that's gone by there. A lot of time. So I That's think... right. I, I, I had to rewind that three times and listen to it, because mm. I'm, I'm sure I was mishearing it. But th- that, that has to be important. That really does. Oh, absolutely. Because, because again, so, you know, this, 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 this in, uh, intra... Uh, story, story that's going on um, because at, what, what the beginning of um, uh, the Impossible Astronaut, he's nine hundred and something, and then partway through in the in, in, Impossible Astronaut, he's twelve hundred, and now he's twelve hundred again. So there's 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 a big reveal coming, a big reveal coming. We'll move on to our next bit of awesome feedback from Rupert Bath, and he's sending a bit of written feedback which says, "Been enjoying Trev's mini spin-off podcast series on Pond Life." Interesting to see the Doctor having increasing problems with the TARDIS, which leads into my... Kooky theory. Of the week. Which is that we will see the beginning of what caused the cracks and the TARDIS to explode in Series 5. As the legendary Trev, Tom and James debate on time and history mentioned, the Doctor cheated time, so my theory is that if his death was a fixed point in time i.e. that he was meant to die at that point, his cheating and not dying will be what causes the cracks to start and the paradox he uses the TARDIS to manage, um, the you know, the uh, fixed point in time will cause the explosion. Hmm, very interesting. Do, do you know, I want to bring a bit of real world into this as well. Now, for instance, when we, when we went to the BFI, um, Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat both said, "Well, we've always known we had Matt for five years. That's part, you know, that was part of the contract. So whatever story is being told right now has been planned since the very beginning. So that's that. You know, so the suggestion that the Doctor is responsible for uh, the cracks in the first instance works for me. I think this is the first um, incarnation of the Doctor, if you like. Or this is going to be, you know, quite apart from the inter the interseason loops and arcs, there is a whole eleventh Doctor arc going on, which is not entirely revealed to us just." yet so yes i i I, i'm willing to accept that bit of feedback definitely or that theory from that bit yeah i would love it if this actually turned out to reveal the cause of the the tardis exploding and the cracks eventually i get a little more dubious as more and more time goes by Uh, exactly and and, i mean i'd love to have an answer but as new people come in and out of the series i just five years would be an awful long time to hold off uh for an answer but uh like you say time will tell All right, we'll move on to the Asylum of the Daleks feedback, and we've got quite a bit of this. Our first is an audio from Sarah in Toronto. Hello, Definite Article Doctor Who podcast. This is Sarah from Toronto, Canada. Just a couple of points about Asylum of the Daleks. 
I found the beginning strangely dull. It was a real letdown after such a long wait from the last episode. I did not find the hood lady at all interesting. And Rory and Amy were like characters from a cut-rate drama. Uh, luckily for all of us, it picked up once they entered the parliament and uh, steadily and satisfyingly improved from there. Another point I haven't heard mentioned is that the way the doctor repeats Doctor Who in the last scene echoes exactly the way Dorian repeated it at the end of Wedding of River Song. Well, thanks for that, Sarah. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, I, I think I kind of echo your thoughts about the opening being a bit dull. I think because, like I said earlier on, my expectations were so high that it took me a while to adjust to this story and realise, well, this is what they expected us to it to feel like, but this is what it really is and I've got to adapt. So it, it probably took me 20 minutes to get used to the fact that this wasn't exactly what it's been trumpeted as. But, um, yeah, um, I pretty much agree with what you say. I would, ref- I would refer you again to the prequel because I think if you have a chance to watch the prequel, then it builds up that opening sequence a little bit better and, and makes it a little more interesting. Mm. Well, it, 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 it's, it's one of those things. After all the time, all this time of not having any Doctor Who to get something back, it takes a short while to adjust. But I've got to be honest, I, I loved it from the moment from, from moment one. But then I guess could, it might, that might have been because I was watching it at the BFI with uh, uh, James, Ian and Leeson. But uh, no, I, 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 I really loved this. Absolutely loved it. Um, the, the General Louise Coleman reveal was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Um, I liked the fact that it was Scarrow. I thought that people would have been, would have been kicking off more about uh, Scarrow and the Seventh Doctor. I haven't seen any of that, or I've not seen as much of that as I expected to see. Um, so, yeah, it, it's always nice to hear an opinion. I don't agree with it, but yeah, fair enough. Well, moving swiftly along, our next feedback is from uh, Steve, who's also very active on air forums as well. Take it away, Steve. Hello, the Doctor Who podcast. My name's Steve, otherwise known as Wilbury Dog. Um, and I'm here to give you some feedback on Asylum of the Daleks. However, first, I'd just like to say um, congratulations on uh, on absolute brilliant podcast. I really do enjoy um, the banter. Um, I don't always agree with everything that's said, of course, but then that's that's Doctor Who fandom for you. Um, you know, however, it, it is brilliant, and I'd just, uh, just like to say that, you know, I don't miss an episode. Anyway, Asylum of the Daleks. I was really looking forward to it. Obviously, all the hype of the... Um, classic Daleks coming back and that you know being a, a classic era fan um, like uh, like you are it, it really sort of got my juices um, flowing for a, an exciting time of the special weapons Dalek being back in action and things like that okay a little bit let down there I'm not going to deny it um, I've watched it twice because the first time I, I walked away disappointed for, for that reason because I felt all hyped up really excited to uh, to see all these classic Daleks I grew up with and then, oh, they're just props in the background, cobwebs on or not moving, not doing anything and that was disappointing. So I decided to watch it again and this time I was blown away. I must admit, I put my feelings of of the classic Dalek business to one side and just took in the episode for what it was and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, The highlight for me being Jenna Louise Coleman, wow she is going to be a fantastic companion if the character stays as portrayed as Oswin. Now, of course, we, we don't know at the moment that that will be the case, but I, I truly hope so. I thought she did a magnificent job, um, you know, and, and I think she she's quickly going to become a, a fan favourite. Um, the story overall, okay, I could pick holes in it. 
Um, I haven't got time to now, obviously, but you know, generally as a bit of entertainment, uh, a bit of Saturday night, sit back with the family and, and have a bit of fun. You can't fault it, can you? Absolutely brilliant. I could go on for hours, but I won't. And um, maybe I'll give some feedback again. It's the first time I've ever done this, so uh, <laughs> sorry if I rambled. And uh, speak to you guys again soon. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Bye-bye. Again, I, I pretty much agree with all he says. It was fantastic to have the hype of all the classic series Daleks there. Um, it, it got me very excited to try and pick the different Daleks they were using. I think they even had the uh, special weapons Dalek there at one point, which which was a great thrill. I'm different to you, Steve. I've only actually seen these new episodes once each, so I haven't had the... Uh, I suppose, pleasure of seeing them more than once at the moment to see whether my opinions changed or improved or got worse. But uh... Well, it's interesting that Steve says as soon as he just watched the story on his own term, on its own terms, he enjoyed it an awful lot more. And I think this is, the, this is kind of the point. If you, if, you, if you go to it, not with no expectations, but just with your, suspe- your belief suspended, it's perfect. You know, at, the, at that point, I think you're, you're watching Doctor Who in the way that the, uh, the, 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 uh, the makers would, like, would, would actually like like, uh, like us to actually c- uh, consume it. The other thing, of course, is that if you absolutely want to be guaranteed to have your feedback news, start with loving the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a way to fast track it, most definitely. All right, our next bit of audio is from uh, Aidan in the uh, beautiful city of Cardiff in Wales. There are probably things that people find wrong with it. There are probably factually things wrong with it, but that doesn't bother me. I loved it. Open on Skyro, it looks amazing, and the massive Dalek statue put me in awe. Humans with Dalek eye stalks were both strange and a little bit creepy. Although I didn't know Dalek guns had a stun setting along with the infamous, infamous kill. Jenna Louise Coleman. I was not expecting that. It's going to be really interesting to how Oswin becomes Clara. Hope it doesn't just turn out to be that they're related, like that girl in Army of Ghosts and Martha Jones. I'm sure that it won't be the case. Moffat is much better than that. The highlight of the episode for me was the last five minutes. I think I twigged as the door to the chamber where the Oswin Dalek lived opened, and I see the reaction on the Doctor's face. Then it cuts back to the interior of Oswin's ship, and the design of a ship feels very Dalek-like all of a sudden. The circular monitors and the controls and the tunnel shape, as if she was like inside and looking out of the Dalek's eye. We do see earlier in the episode the inside of the door of the chamber upon the screen. But that just passes me by. On second viewing, my verbal expression is, whoa. I think I need to leave it there for now. I just thought it was brilliant. I'm sure upon future viewings, my awe and enthusiasm will simmer down a little. But for now, I'm still flying high on the nano cloud. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you. One of the nice things about this episode is that the clues were there that Oswin was a Dalek all along. And certainly this one, this one's going to benefit from second and third and fourth time viewings, because as you watch it through, you appreciate how carefully these things were were seated in the design and in the story as you go through. Also, just my own comment on the on the reboot at the end and and the idea that the, the Daleks don't know the doctor. I'm I'm one of those folks who's a little uncomfortable with that idea. I've always loved that the Daleks are one of the arch enemies of the Doctor and that there's this this recognition and this kind of dance that they play through time uh, every time that they encounter each other. And I'm, I'm going to miss that a little bit. But at um, any rate, I'm willing to look and see where it goes. That, that, that can all work. But as, as I say, anything which can make the show uh, new to us viewers or even new to its, its own internal consistency has got to be welcomed because after 50 years, you know, there's, only, you know, there's, there's only so far you can go. But if, we, if, if suddenly there are no Time Lords, 
just like they weren't before. Um, the Daleks don't, not, don't, <laughs> don't know the Doctor, just like they didn't before. But, that, but even that's interesting, because at the point at which the first Doctor encounters the Daleks, they must. there's a point in time where they absolutely do know who he is and why he's so dangerous. Um, but, no, but, but to be honest with you, anything which means that the, uh, the old Doctor, my old Doctor, Doctor Who, is back, it's, it's got to be good, definitely. Our next bit of audio is from Glenn Hibbert, a, a great friend of the show. He's always been very uh, prolific about sending in his uh, feedback on new episodes of Doctor Who, and Series 7 is no different. So over to Glenn for his thoughts on Asylum. G'day, guys. This is Glenn here with my thoughts on The Asylum of the Daleks. The Dark Doctor in the last minutes of The Wedding of River's Song and the first minutes of The Asylum of the Daleks I really liked. I had hoped that this was the direction Moffat was going to take the Doctor for the complete season, but it did not last. Loved the sweeping scape of Scarrow and the snow-capped mountains. Loved the set design. The Parliament of the Daleks had great scope. I enjoyed the eye stalks twinkling like a thousand candles to the refrain of Save us, you will save us, you will save the Daleks. Liked Gillen's performance in this episode, especially the scene with Rory in which Amy confesses that she is unable to give him children, was absolutely convincing. And I did find myself, by the end of the episode, prepared to give Amy a chance. I do want to see a redemption for Amy. However, the only thing that will truly persuade me that she is seriously committed to Rory will be when she can call herself Mrs. Williams without scorn or derisiveness. I want to finish off by saying that Moffat truly is a writer of high quality, his dialogue skill excellent, and his use of symbol and irony brilliant. The chair Dalek tells the Doctor, it is offensive to us to extinguish such divine hatred. Does it surprise you that the Daleks have a concept of beauty? The Doctor is indignant. Do you think hatred is beautiful? The chair Dalek answers, perhaps that is why we've never been able to kill you. There is this battle between good and bad here, yet we discover it's not so black and white. There is bad in the Doctor. We have seen it in A Good Man Goes to War. The Doctor coerces old enemies to fight for him. It is not beyond him to torture a Dalek. When Amy starts to change, she does not see tin and bumps when she looks at the Daleks. She saw beautiful people. At the end of the episode, we discover that the Doctor and his companion's benefactor is in fact Dalek. Oswin is the good in the Dalek. The Doctor right at the end gives Oswin Dalek kudos. What does he say of the Dalek before leaving? You beauty. What was the first thing we saw of pond life in the episode? Amy's fists coming out at us with hate on one and love on the other. Good and bad, love and hate, is played out for us by both the aliens, the Doctor and the Daleks, and on a human level, Amy and Rory. This episode was a brilliant start to season 7. I am excited for it. And I think that a pink Dalek for a companion is inspired. Glenn, I'm always amazed at the way you edit every breath out of your, of your feedback. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. I'm pretty sure that, you know, should, should we ever meet, then you'd be a lot more, consi- a lot more um, uh, relaxed in your speech patterns but no some uh, some brilliant points some amazing points there some very subtle things that you picked up um, about the difference between love and hate and how that's played out between the doctor the daleks and amy and rory brilliant absolutely brilliant you know more of that please i like I your love ideas about um you know amy's character getting redemption because I, I think there's that undercurrent in fandom that you know there's a certain type of doctor fan that doesn't really like amy and you know, I think she's quite a mean character, and I'm and I'm probably in that camp, and I'm and, and I'm sure James would agree with me that he is as well. Um, that Glenn's touching upon the fact that maybe we're going to get a bit of redemption for the Amy character. That you know, you know, she she finally gets some of the good stuff. 
You know, I, I'll add in a little bit of feedback from my son again. We were listening to one of the recent episodes of the Doctor Who podcast, Trev, where you and James were disparaging uh, Amy a little bit, and my poor son was just heartbroken. He, he, well, how can they not like Amy? I like Amy. So she does have her champions out there. I think it's interesting uh, Glenn picked up on the idea of, of, of Amy signing the uh, the divorce papers as Amy Williams, which I do think is significant. I, I you know I think Amy was a little wishy washy at the beginning, but I have become convinced over the last season that she does truly love Rory, that they are a pair, uh, and I think I think that that the the way the camera focused in on the fact she was signing her last name Williams still. Um, I think was meaningful, and yeah, we're continuing maybe. to see that developed. The the one other uh, thing I wanted to pick up on on um, Glenn's feedback, and I like the way he finds the themes that run through. He talked about the idea of beauty and what is beautiful to a Dalek, and how how the Doctor at the very end uh, referred to uh, Oswin as "you beauty." There's there's even other places in there where that theme is planted early on. I love the sequence at the beginning where Oswin is talking you know, to her mother, hypothetically, and she says, I made you a souffle, but it was too beautiful to live. And, and Tom, you've talked about how good the writing is in this episode, and I think that there are just these little concepts planted through uh, that are quite impressive. Definitely, definitely. As ever, there's an awful lot more going on uh, in Doctor Who than perhaps meets the art at first watching. And uh, as has been said a number of times on the podcast, this is the version of Doctor Who which is absolutely meant to stand up to repeat viewings. Maybe not in the way that uh, um, something like Planet of the Giants was, but yeah, this is absolutely designed to be... Uh, <laughs> what a story to pick! Well, you know... <laughs> Just straight in there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's certainly designed to be looked at more than once. <laughs> Who the heck... You name me five people in the world that are going, hmm, I'm going to give Planet of the Giants another look. <laughs> All right, our last bit of audio feedback for Asylum, anyway, is from the enigmatically titled Turlo81. Hello, this is Turlo81. And I just had a question about your feedback on Asylum of the Daleks. A lot was made about Jenna Louise Coleman's character coming back in the Christmas special. They were trying to see how Dalek Souffle Girl was going to become a companion without having Dalek remains or whatever. Now if you look at Karen Gillian, she first came in Fires of Pompeii. She was a soothsayer. She came back as a companion. Same actress different characters. Even Colin Baker, he was Commander Maxwell in Ark of Infinity, but he comes back as the Doctor. So it would be logical to me that Jenna would be the same actress, but have nothing to do with the same character. But everyone there seems to think that she is. And I was just wondering if you could follow up on that. And by the way, I love the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, well, Turlo 81, I, I think that's a question that a lot of fandom ask, is asking at the moment. Is Jenna Louise Coleman, the character we saw in Asylum, is she the new companion or is it just a massive coincidence? We don't really know what has happened. I mean, Stephen Moffat might have uh, used her for Asylum of the Daleks and went, hey, you're fantastic, you're really good, why don't you come back and audition for you know, a role in the Christmas special? Or there might be some massive plot device happening that she's in asylum she's going to be in the christmas special as well which could it be it would be interesting because i think this would be the first time in doctor who something like that would happen 
And for me, that would be something that Stephen Moffat would do, that he would plant um, Jenna Louise in this early episode, get the fans talking, and then we have some massive reveal in the Christmas episode, which would, which would be a first, I think. Good. See, see, again, so you've got a world-class writer leading his audience a merry dance, and that's fine by me. Go, go for it, Stephen Moffat. Do more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what they can do with this. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping it's something interesting. There's been talk, are we going to be getting a, a Dalek uh, hybrid companion? What, what's going to happen with this uh, Jenna Louise character? Why is she called Oswin here? Isn't she called something different in the Christmas special? It's got tongues wagging. It's got people talking about the show. It's got the interest up. And for me, that's only a positive thing until we actually see what they do with it. Yeah. When we actually finally see the Christmas special. Yeah, I have no doubt that Stephen Moffat has something very particular planned and that this was planned from the outset. It, it's not a case of seeing her and liking her and casting her in something else. I, it'll be fun to watch the, the story unfold. And we have a bit of uh, written feedback for Asylum of the Daleks as well. This comes from Jeff Merritt from Kansas City here in the uh, U.S. of A. And he says, I liked the cinematic beginning and the surprise twist ending. The premise is that the Daleks are afraid to go into the asylum themselves, but inside there is not the mass bedlam one would expect, only comatose Daleks and decaying infrastructure. I don't know why the Daleks would be afraid of this. I also don't see any signs that anything is going to get out of the asylum. How much do the Daleks really know about what is going on? They act completely ignorant of what is going on down in the asylum, but did they really know about Oswin all the time? They would have reason to be afraid of a human-termed Dalek who retained her humanity and had access to all of their knowledge, computer networks and such. Oswin clearly was a genius computer hacker before her conversion. The doctor indicates she was a genius and the Daleks need a genius, which suggests there was a master plan behind her conversion and that the plan went wrong. But there is no real explanation or evidence for this. A lot of questions there, and, and uh, sorry, Jeff, I really haven't got any answers to them because uh, it, it, it's one of the maddening things about being in the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who that uh, we can sit here and wax lyrical about stuff, but it could all be wrong. Um, for, for me, I think it, it's interesting that she is a computer genius. I, I think during the episode it's mentioned that her real life before she became a Dalek was um, an entertainment programmer on the ship or something like that? or Junior entertainment in- manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I suppose there would be a degree of computer knowledge there, but to me that, that that then doesn't translate to computer genius or computer hacker. And then there's the whole thing about, well, how does she get access from a prison planet to the computers up on the Dalek Parliament, for example, or you know, to the Dalek ships in general? That That's something really interesting for me. Well, there, there is a slightly deeper question inside that is if, which is, if that character is meant to be Clara, why does she not recognise the Doctor? And if the, you know, and vice, you know, and vice versa, you know, if that's the, it's very much River Song, isn't it? You know, because the last, the first time we meet River, it's the last time she sees the Doctor, um, so she recognises him. Why is this not the case with if those characters are the same? Why does she not recognise the Doctor? That's true. I mean, if we are seeing a sort of River Song backwards timeline meeting sort of thing, where the events, I mean, if we're to believe that they're the same character then the events of the Christmas special take place before Asylum. Is is that what you're saying, Tom? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's exa- exactly the same as with River. The, the first time that we meet River is the last time that she sees the Doctor. So she knows exactly who he is, and, she, and her story is told. So every, every time we meet River up until uh, that we meet River now, she, she's still going towards the end of her story, i.e. the first time that they met her. So the last, the last version of the Doctor that she sees is 
is ten. Um, so if this is the last time that that character, if she is meant to be Clara, um, sets eyes on the Doctor, why does she not recognise him? Because it's already been done with River Song, I have a hunch that that's not going to be the way this plays out here. I have no idea how it's going to play mm. out, but uh, I, I just think Stephen Moffat probably wouldn't revisit the same kind of plot line, but, but, but we'll see. A couple thoughts I had about the character. Um, yeah, we know she was a junior entertainment manager uh, on the spaceship Alaska. My hunch then is that she gained some of that computer knowledge when she was converted into a Dalek. I mean, it took some of the, the spunkiness of her human personality, but combined it with uh, all the advantages she'd have of being hooked into the, the Dalek pathnet, which I think, Trev, is also the way she could communicate with the uh, the Daleks on the spaceship, perhaps once the uh, once the uh, force field was, was turned off. But also, mm, another mm. thought I've had, you know, uh, um, Jeff mentions that you know, here all these Daleks were comatose down there. But there's a line that Oswin has where, you know, the doctor, uh, I think it was the doctor commenting on, on how the Daleks weren't doing so well. And, and Oswin says, I've had nearly a year to mess with them. And my hunch is that when the Daleks converted her, uh, they got a whole lot more than they bargained for and that she'd been sitting there in the heart of their asylum kind of sabotaging their workings because she hadn't lost... Uh, the feeling that she was a human and she was still resisting all, all the way through, even though she didn't realize she was also a Dalek. So any rate, that, that's my theory. So the ship crashed and she spent a year evading them while still messing with their tiny Dalek minds and then she was finally captured and converted. Yeah, so the theory is if the Doctor had been sent down there a year before, there would have been active and violent Daleks all over the place. Do you know what? That's one thing we didn't mention. You know, for, for, for fans of a show that's so continuity heavy, um, when, when there was mention of Kemble and the other, uh, the other early Daleks and Spiridon and the other, and the other Dalek planets, um, that was what like, that was like our little internal cheer. But you're right. You know, we can't. We mustn't forget. As much as the Doctor's being reinvented, the Daleks are being reinvented too. And you know, let's not forget they are quite apart from being dangerous. They're part of their dangerous. They're so paranoid. Um, you know, I think as, as, as Ten says, you know, well, they spend all that time locked inside a little, inside a little metal cage. Of course, they scream. So if they think there's a danger down there, then absolutely, let's let's send the predator of the Daleks down. Interestingly, he was called the predator of the Daleks rather than the Doctor. I thought was, that was quite an interesting point. All I can say is I'm happy that the uh, Mini Cooper Daleks were up the back, yeah. hidden, yeah. almost not there. <laughs> it was. It, it. I mean, I. I. I think. Although Stephen Moffat will never admit it, I'm sure he thinks in the back of his mind that those victory of the Daleks, Daleks, were a bad move, a massively bad move. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what goes on. Well, we'll leave the Asylum of the Daleks feedback with one last bit of feedback from Big Bash League. I hope the league's going well and the uh, bashings are going. Nice and big. Anyway, Big Bash what? League says... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> anyway, Big Bash League says, um, Oswin Oswald is Lorna Bucket from A Good Man Goes to War. What do we have to th- say about that, guys? Um I think again, this, 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 that, maybe that's a comment about perspective. Um, the Doctor moves through his adventures like the oncoming storm and doesn't necessarily catch um, all the periphery characters, I mean, which, which is uh, certainly kind of true. You know, there's so many people that you interact with indirectly in your life that not everyone um, you, you won't be front, will be front and centre. So perhaps that's the case. You know, we have another couple of episodes to find out.
onto dinosaurs on a spaceship. Well, possibly my my favourite episode from this year's <laughs> Doctor Who. I tell you, it's right up there with Love and Monsters and Unicorn and the Wasp. But anyway, our first bit of audio is from Marlise Pendragon. Over to you, Marlise. Just a quick note on dinosaurs on a spaceship. I was a little disappointed that it appears no one, including you, has felt that Brian Williams slash Doctor introduction warranted a special note in that Doctor called Mr. Williams by his first name. I felt this is one of those hidden-in-plain-sight items, but I'm probably alone in that theory. It seemed to me an odd thing that the Doctor would make the accusations of shenanigans and then call Mr. Williams Brian without having been introduced with his name. Of course, it has been mentioned by my husband, self-proclaimed American correspondent Lex Pinwagon, that this was a conversation that could have been taking place at any point where the audience was not included. But that seems like an odd time for the writers to take liberties with implied knowledge. Why would the writer drop it in that way if it wasn't important? Are we to believe that the doctor and Rory have had conversations about his father in such a way that would include his first name and that the doctor would recall this detail? The doctor is more the personality to call him Mr. Pond or nice to meet you, Rory's dad. He might even go the full respect route of Mr. Williams, but calling him Brian seemed more important. It almost appeared as if they had met before in the doctor's timeline and he was now and he was allowing everyone else the luxury of not knowing. Yeah. Well, one one thing that really struck me from uh, from from Marlisa's feedback was um, she picked up that the doctor called um, Rory's dad by his first name, and you know whether that's any, I don't know, major thing that should be you know we should worry about. Maybe it's just one of those things where Stephen Moffat's hiding something in plain sight. Uh, you know, th- we, th- we've we've already seen that there's an awful lot of time that goes on that that passes. Um, so, certainly between um, the first three episodes of, of the show of this season, so perhaps the doctors just had a chance to think about it. I don't know. Stephen Moffat has sure conditioned us to be suspicious of everything that we see. Yeah. Uh, I, although in the, in in this case, I'm actually inclined to think that the doctor did just know Brian's name. He traveled so much with Rory and with uh, Amy, and we are talking about his grandfather-in-law. Um, I think he probably knew Brian's name and just used it, but yeah. I, I could be wrong. It's not a major thing for me. And we, I mean, when I listen to Marlisa's feedback, I instantly flash back to the uh, 1996 telly movie where McGann's doctor knew everything about every character in there, you know, including the guy who, you know, was the assistant to the guy who took care of the uh, um, uh, uh, time counter thing. He knew that he was going to... F- uh, he, he, he should answer a certain question on his exam and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So for, for me, it's not that much of a stretch to think that he knows the name of a companion he spent the last couple of years with, what his dad's name is, really. Actually, there is something kind of important about Dinosaurs on a Spaceship as well. Three years into it, we finally get to see Rory being a nurse, at last. It's all good you found a positive from that story. Well done, Tom. <laughs> oh, there's lots of positive. Oh, you're so misguided. Anyway, moving swiftly along before Tom puts his foot in his mouth. Our next uh, feedback is from Jeff Merritt in Kansas City. He sent a bit of written feedback and he says, I don't like the manic, crazy interpretation of the Doctor and did not like the opening sequence in which he recruited his gang. This was unnecessary and the gang added nothing to the story for me. I'm liking you, Jeff. I really am. (laughs) I don't like the way Amy and Rory are being dropped off at the end of every episode and then picked up again at the beginning of the next one. It violates a fundamental aspect of the show that the companions board the TARDIS and stay with the Doctor until their time is up. I can deal with the modern earthboundness of the show, but not the constant drop-off pick-up of the companions. 
something not commented on in the review. The story had wild shifts in tone. Oh, I wonder where I've heard that before. I can certainly enjoy a more light-hearted comedic episode, but mixed in we have a particularly nasty villain who has committed genocide, burns his father's arm, and brutally kills a dinosaur whom we have just become attached to. I really wasn't that attached to the dinosaur, to be honest. It, I, I find it hard to get attached to extinct mammals. Um, anyway, Jeff not, goes not on. Not a mammal, dear. Yeah, exactly. No, dinosaurs aren't mammals. Aren't they? Rep- reptiles. But don't they, they lay eggs, don't they? That's why they're well, reptiles and not mammals. Yeah. But yeah. You... Oh, okay. Don't, don't platypuses lay eggs? I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> gotcha. Bingo. Right, okay. In the, so in the rest of the world. All dinosaurs are related to platypuses because they lay eggs. Hmm. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> tra- tra- I'm wrong. Read the feedback. No, one, no wonder. You know, it, I'm right. You're wrong. No, and no wonder anyway, you didn't I'll, like I'll this. I'll carry on with Jeff's feedback. Exactly. Because these guys have some sort of obsession with dinosaur eggs. Um, <laughs> these extremely dark moments don't work with the generally light episode. Yes, they do. I like the Silurian arc idea, but hasn't it been established that Silurians evolved on Earth and predate the human species? There was some missing. Where does the planet Siluria come in? No. In what time frame does this story take place and who are the generic military types firing missiles? They're on Earth. Is this a future Earth yes. or a science fiction present-day Earth? It's a future the Earth. The context of the story is weak. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what Doctor Who is, is, is it's a science fantasy show, but it's not actually based in fact. Um, and one of the, and it, it, everyone is entitled to an opinion, I guess. Um, mine is that I thought... Um, uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship was fantastic. It's very funny, it's fast-moving, and it is season 17 writ large. Um, it, I, there may there may be some factual inaccuracies in there, but I think what we've got there, you know, all of us, all, all any of us can have is an opinion. You know, it's, 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 these aren't facts. Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just so sorry you guys didn't enjoy it. I thought it was ace. I don't know, for me, I mean, I mean, Jeff picks on something that I picked up on when I watched it, and it made me hark back to stories like Sea Devils and Silurians where they were talking about the whole thing or we had to uh, dive into our caves because the moon was hurtling towards Earth. Now now we know that the Silurians had spaceship technology. So let's backtrack to 1970 where it was explained that the Silurians had a choice. Surely they would have had a choice between spaceship technology and, let's say, I don't know, a shovel. Which would you choose? Which would you choose? Well, I'm going to I'm going to fall back to uh, some of Ian's comments on this, so I'll have to give him credit because I'm going to steal him. But you know, it may be that some of the Silurians, some of the tribes, did have spaceship technology, but there's no way you could fit the entire population onto a spaceship. Although they do say this spaceship is the size of Canada, um, but nonetheless, that you you couldn't put everybody on there. And so I could see a scenario where yes, there was an ark launched. But also those that, that that couldn't fit had to go into the caves and try and survive that way. Um, and you, you and and you don't want all your eggs, dinosaur or otherwise, in one basket. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so so that yeah, that doesn't bother me too much. I actually quite like the idea of the Silurians developing an ark and, and sending it off into space. What I'm finding interesting about this, Trevor, is that you're happy to to accept this little bit of retrospective continuity, but you don't like it. But you're being really selective with other stuff. I I don't accept this retrospective continuity at all i don't like the idea of a silurian spaceship because i think it clashes against what we saw in the 70s with the pertwee episodes that that, that there was never any mention that not only did they uh, start digging furiously down 
but they were shooting upwards when they realised the moon was going to be hurtling into it. I should also, I do want to correct Tom on one thing. Uh, I wanted the chance to do that. Uh, I actually did enjoy this one. <laughs> I did enjoy this one. I mean, I had some some issues with it, but I also enjoyed a lot of it. So it, this was not one that, that I hated by any means. To answer a couple other of uh, Jeff's questions, uh, he asks about where does the planet Siluria come in. I think that's where the doctor takes all the dinosaurs after all the action is over. I think he finds a planet for them where they can they can live and that, that that's a postcard he's sending back. So it's not a case of a, a planet that was back in the past, but rather someplace he's taken the dinosaurs. And the present in this particular episode is 2367 A.D., and it is yeah. Earth. But But I know that because they flash up that date. Uh, as they go to the scene in, in the control room with, with the, the folks that are going to fire the missiles, they flash that data. Our next bit of feedback is from Reed S. And Tom, I think it's time the listeners heard your dulcet reading tones. Cool. Um, what does Reed S. have to say? So, uh, yes, Reed says, loving the podcast, guarantees that your feedback gets read out. Um, just emailing in to share my thoughts on dinosaurs on a spaceship. It had a great premise and a cool way of making it make sense. Not to mention, it was a lot of fun, but it just didn't hold up very well. Mm. I, was, I was with you all the way up until that sentence. Um, the, pops, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the plot seemed kind of flimsy. Phones working in space, Amy being able to perfectly command an alien computer. Um, a lot of the small details seemed a bit lazy to me. I loved Rory and his dad. They were fun, but I'm not so sure about the Doctor straight up murdering Solomon. Also, when the bad guy says, computer, teleport us to my ship, how does the teleporter know to only teleport him to the robots and Nefertiti? Hmm. Um, it was fun and it could have been really good if the writers had just paid a bit more attention to the details anyway keep up the good work as always um, interesting I think that these things which are being picked up as being inconsistent are actually deliberate um, so it, it, what can I say always great to, re to, to receive feedback it would be very boring if I agree with all of it I don't necessarily agree with all of that but uh, thanks for writing in I totally agree with you Tom I, I, I think we've been burned or certainly I've been burned too much in the past about passing off um, things that are just look like they're wrong and they end up being deliberate. I remember the uh, doctor's jacket, for example, that, that Tom, you were right, mate. You were right. <laughs> yeah. Totally right. Yep. And this this could be another thing again. So I, I think that's a, a it's going to be something that's going to be down as a hallmark for the uh, Moffat era, that you really can't take anything at face value, and that's what provides a lot of our conversations, a lot of our in-depth discussions here on the podcast, that so much we watch that um, you, you can never be definitive about it. You can never be final about it because the next episode will we'll change it all again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, Stephen Moffat, as he has said a number of times, is a huge Doctor Who fan, um, and it, it, I, th I think it's not the same as it used to be. It's not the same as it was in the 60s or the 70s where fans, where, where the producers and the production team weren't necessarily fans of the show. They were televisual professionals. I'm not saying that any of the production team now are not televisual professionals, but you've got dyed-in-the-wall fans of the show who know exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, this, 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 you know, Michelle, you made a point earlier on the podcast about how long, how much does it cost to make 60, 60 seconds of TV? It costs so much that you don't waste time, that you don't get the scripts wrong, that you don't uh, play about with the characters. You know, you, whatever you're seeing in, on, on, on screen there is entirely meditated. Yes, Tom, you're right. It really is incredible how meticulous these things uh, are put in there into these scripts. And e even if we don't agree with every little bit of it, it's certainly the love and the care and the attention that's given to putting things together is wonderful. And and so far, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. I am really enjoying this season, and I'm looking forward to what's coming next. 
Well, all I can say, ladies and gentlemen, is thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we've been overwhelmed by the amount of feedback you have sent in, and there's even more in the hopper that we just really couldn't get to in this episode. We're definitely going to have to do this in a couple of weeks when we do our uh, Series 7 roundup. So if you didn't hear your feedback this episode, I'm sure it'll come up in a future one because it's it's fantastic we've got so much coming in yeah 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 definitely it's it's, it's i won't say frightening but it, it, it's 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 kind of awesome to look at uh, the the number of people downloading the podcast so it, did, i don't think we thought it was going to go to this did we no no <laughs> every day i go and have a look just to give my little ego a boost <laughs> and I, I i think at the moment we're over 15,000 for the asylum episode where over what twelve thousand for the uh, dinosaurs one, and I'm sure a town called Mercy, which as of recording has only just gone up, um, that that will hit some incredibly amazing heady heights as well. Let let me put in a plug. If you want to get involved in uh, the discussion, there is active discussion going on now on the forum. This is a great time to come and join and see what's going on and and follow the threads in the various episodes as they air. So join us. Yeah, mm, definitely. It's free. No cost. All you have to do is register and, you know, you, you can start posting and, you know, enjoying the fun because, you know, as per usual, every time a new season comes around, you know, the forums get a lot more busy and certainly Series 7 is no exception. Everyone suddenly found where the forums are again and, you know, they're, they're, they're really kicking. Yeah, nicely, nicely. Okay. It, is, is, is that us done for this, for, for, for this week? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I I need to lie down after that all all that awesome feedback. Well, this has been great. Circling the globe this time. Definitely, Michelle. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's great to finally record with you as well. Yeah. And you. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is brilliant. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> Unbelievable. I have had one hour of sleep and it's almost five in the morning. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it, it has been great to record with you. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> Someday I'll do it when I'm awake. <laughs> so it's been really great working through the feedback in this episode. Don't forget to tune in next week, literally minutes after the credits roll on The Power of Three to hear Ian and James discussing the penultimate episode of season seven. All right, take it easy, guys. Farewell, everybody. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. 